mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? First Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 22. <clears throat> We've been going through this letter from Peter, who spent three plus years with the Lord, walking on the earth, being rebuked at one time after such a great revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, that was followed by Jesus telling him to get behind me, Satan. And that's pretty, I mean, think about it. If you're living for God and you're walking with God and he looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan, and God calls you Satan, you should really deal with your heart. Now think about this for long and hard because he wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. He was saying that Peter's heart was wrapped around the will of Satan and what Satan wanted to do and was being deceived if you continue to follow that and don't receive the correction. And that's what a lot of people do even in the church today. We can get an idea in our heart, an idea in our life, a pattern or a habit. And even though the Word of God tells us to stop, even though the Word of God says no, we continue to follow it. And, you know, I, don't, I, I know that Jesus is love incarnate, but don't forget, love incarnate speaks to the sin and comes to save you. And so, therefore, when Peter's heart was moving in the wrong direction, Jesus didn't wait and go, you know what, I think it'll clear up. It's like acne, it'll go away. But he quickly spoke to him and said, get behind me, Satan. And he got his attention. See, that's not love today in the church. Love today in the church is, oh, let them go. They'll be fine. It won't hurt anything if they go to hell. Let them do what they want. Don't judge them. See, love come to earth and judged. Love come to earth and judged sin by laying its life down and dying. And then raising again on the third day. That's what love does. Love deals with sin. Dealt with it perfectly. And all you have to do is believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And you shall be saved. Sanctified is what Peter calls it. Set apart for his glory. Set apart now positionally perfect. Practically learning to obey. Positionally perfect. It's incorruptible. But practically, we've been set free to follow and be corrected by God. 
to learn correction, to learn to obey without worrying that the penalty of sin and the power of sin is there, but now we can run freely and follow and have this love relationship with God. Yet, so often we ignore the rebukes of life, the instruction of God, the Word of God. Listen, Proverbs 10, 17 says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. He who forsakes correction. Listen, rebukes of correction are the way of life. This This is what the new life is about. Learning to obey God. And then when we disobey God, willfully, there really is no sacrifice in the Bible whatsoever for that. We've been set free to come and follow. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. So, Peter says that when you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead, you are saved or sanctified. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, set apart perfect positionally but then it's set apart sanctified practically you learn to walk you learn to obey every day just like a little child as you come to him a little child stands up and it's learning once again to walk you and I do the same thing learning that everything that we've been listening to from the devil is a lie that the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5, 19. I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath wickedness. Why would we listen to what they say then? Why would we not find out what is true here in the Word of God and put on those glasses that when we look at anything and say, the Word of God says that's a lie. The Word of God says, get behind me, Satan, and quit trying to lead me in your ways. And I want to hear the instruction from my Master, the Lord Jesus, who loved me enough to lay His life down for me. I want to hear His voice. I want to know what He has to say about everything. And when I stumble, I want to do what He says. Pick up the bar of soap and ask Him to forgive me. But I don't want to plan to stumble. I don't want to sit around and plan to do something that's evil. I want to begin to plan how to learn to walk this out in righteousness. Listen, God doesn't condemn us. Look with me quickly. You can hold your finger there in 1 Peter 22. But look at John chapter 8. I want you to see the beauty of this. John chapter 8. So you can see this in real life, real time. I don't know if you know John chapter 8, it ends with chapter 7, and everyone goes away to their own house, but Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives to pray, and he's praying for you and me. He didn't have a house. His temple had been taken over. God's house, zeal for God's house, has eaten him up. His house has been taken over by a bunch of satanic people. They're practicing their own religion, come up with their own ideas, ignoring his instruction. They, They want to kill him. And so he got nowhere to go. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head when he was on the earth because his house had been taken over by the evil one. Everybody goes to their house and gets a good night's sleep. He goes and prays because he knows that we need to be praying. And here they come as he's teaching them in the temple. Here they come some of the ruling authorities, some of them that that think they know what they're doing, 
And they're teaching the people how to live. And they bring a woman caught in adultery and throw that woman down at his feet. Of course, all of us are thinking, where's the man? And they, they throw this question. She sinned. She's committed adultery. The law says to kill her. What do you say, Jesus? And they're looking for a way to trap him. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. The woman has sinned. And if, we, if I would have been there, I would have said, where's the guy? Jesus didn't even say that. He didn't even deal with their evil hearts because he knew what they were doing. So he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Because he knew that all men are sinners. And then he stoops and he begins to write in the dirt. Now we don't know what he was writing. Maybe he was playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know. Or maybe he was writing down the man's name who she was caught in adultery with. That would really freak you out if you were standing there. Or maybe he was writing down their names and then listing their sin right beside it. Oh, I know he's got sin. I know what his sin is. He's God. And they begin to walk away one by one. But you know what? The Bible tells us there in chapter 8, I'm not reading it, I'm paraphrasing, that the oldest went first. See, because the older you are, the more you realize your sin. That's why the number 40, when you're 40, I always tell people, when you're 40, then you can really start living life. Till you're 40, you're just playing. I know some of you think you're serious. 40 is the number of judgment. When you turn 40, you better know what you're doing in life. It's time to make a decision. And quit playing. John chapter 8, verse 11. Actually, let's start with verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up, isn't that what he did last message? Resurrection, he rose. When he raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, I, did, I always find these little tidbits, like see, the woman could represent the church. All of us are adulterers. And when Jesus raised himself up, his only concern was his church, the woman. He said to her, woman, see, because we think that's bad. This is actually an enduring term. Even when Jesus was on the cross, he said, uh, uh, John, or woman, John, John, woman. And he gave his mom to John to take care of her. It was an enduring term. It's not an enduring term anymore. Listen, while we're in the moment, I used to yell, hey, woman, to my wife. And I quickly got rebuked for it. Don't do it. It's not, re it's not enduring anymore. He raised himself up and he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one, Kata Crino, has no one condemned you? Has no one judged you worthy of punishment? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I, Kata Crino, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. Now, why did I bring you here? Because I want you to see that salvation comes before the command to go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It doesn't say go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. Make sure you have that in your heart right. Because this is what sanctification is about. 
Now that I am not condemning you. Romans 5.8. Now that God has demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now he says, the pattern of your heart, the, 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 the motion you should be going in is to go and learn not to sin because I set you free from the penalty and the power. Now you should be able to go freely and learn not to sin willfully against me. That should be your heart because I first loved you. Because I first loved you and I gave my blood for you, you should have a heart to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and the older I get, the more I see it. And the more I see your mercy and your grace. And I see that the only place that I can come is to fall upon you. Because you have the only power and the only might to keep me from fulfilling the desires of my heart. See, sanctification is about changing the desires of your heart. Sanctification is about turning over the soil in your heart and allowing God to plant new seed and create in you a new heart that looks like Jesus. Positionally, finished. Practically, now we have to walk it out, run the race, and cross the finish line while we're here on the earth. Or we can let Satan beat us down and steal our sanctification from us. Now, with that in mind, go back to 1 Peter 1.22. Because we want to test the genuineness of our faith. Do we have a heart to move forward? Do we have a heart to follow? Be led by the Spirit? To get into the word, prayer, and fellowship? To allow God to change the very way that we think? And to stop listening to the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one? And their lies? Listen, I've already, I've already told you, I'll tell you again. It's worth repeating. If the world tells you that there's more than two genders, now you know for a fact, just with your eyes open, you cannot believe them. They're liars. I mean, if that doesn't wake you up, when they will sit there and push more than two genders on you, and now it's even getting worse. I mean, think about this for a moment. Now, we're not trying to condemn anybody. We're trying to judge truth and lie. And if it's a lie, it's get thee behind me, Satan. If it's truth, I want to follow. I want to be in the way with. I want to hear that instruction. But get this. The first part of the homosexual agenda was don't bother us. It's okay if we sleep together and we're the same sex. The second part was, wait a minute, we want to have part in this marriage thing, so if you give us that, we'll shut up. And now it's not even that. It's no, no, we were born in the wrong body. See, it's all death culture to kill that God made them male and female, that God said, go and procreate. It's all death culture. And now it's not just that they want to do it, because I could care less what they do in there behind their own doors. But now they want you to celebrate it and believe it and follow the lie and don't say anything about the truth and say, get behind me, Satan. Now it's went to transgender. It's went to changing. Instead of gender dysphoria, I want to change my gender. And they want to do it to little seven-year-olds. This is where death culture leads to killing anything God has said and killing God's creation and trying to come up with their own creation. And now the other day, you see the Pantene commercial. 
that says, oh, he's always been gender creative. Now you're not just transgender, but you can be gender creative. Create it whatever you want. Did God really say? Did God really say they were male and female? Did God really say that marriage was a man and a woman? See, the, the, the lie hasn't changed, but we're right in our face with it. Now, it's no mistake that 2020 was the year of COVID. 2020, God, God did that. He wants you to have your eyes wide open. 2020 vision. It's not a mistake. And yet, the church's eyes are still closed. We still follow the blind, leading the blind. And we still end up in a ditch as opposed to saying, you know what? I need to wake up here. I need to realize that there's nothing in me that loves God, that likes God, that wants to follow God, that can change my heart to do good. And if it was in me, I would just be playing religion. Because God's ways are the only ways. And God has provided His Spirit to come in and sanctify. God Himself comes and lives in your house, your home, your heart. And when He comes in, that seed gets planted And then it's supposed to grow. And you're supposed to get rid of the weeds. We're all doing gardening, starting gardening. You're supposed to clear out the fallow ground. So that righteousness can come. Supposed to be in the way with Jesus. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, not Jesus' ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from above himself. From up above. That's the only way for our hearts to be changed. That's the only way for practical walk with God and to be sanctified and be the body of Christ that can learn to love one another and love their neighbor as themselves. First Peter 1.22 Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Father, we give you praise and we ask you to open this word and open our heart that we would receive this word. It would be implanted deep in our heart. We know it's living. It would be implanted in our heart and it would bring about practical sanctification and salvation for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Since you have purified, seeing that the King James, notice who gets the credit. 
Think about it. Since you have purified. Oh, really? Think about this. Even when we cross the finish line in heaven, you know what Jesus says? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. But you know what we're supposed to do and we're going to do? We'll take off our crowns and lay them at his feet and sing worthy is the lamb. He gives us the credit. He's given us the privilege to be involved as the body of Christ, to be the bride of Christ. But it's really him that does it. But here again, it says, since seeing that you have purified. Purified, again, is the word for sanctification. To make yourself ceremonially and morally pure. To make yourself clean or to cleanse. Purified your souls in obeying. Really? We have to obey? It's what we're talking about, people. The first part of obeying is what? Believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. When you, when you obey that, when you believe that, you're sanctified, set apart, you are saved. That's the first part, but it's not the finish line. Now we are going, oh, wow, now I have this new teacher in my heart. I have God in my heart. I have the Spirit in my heart. I have the seed of Christ in my heart. And now I can learn to obey without the fear of death. Remember, all of our life, this fear of death, because the wages of sin is death. So we have death, but God died for us in his son Jesus Christ he took the power and the penalty of sin so that he could set us free to follow him and learn to obey him isn't that what original sin was that Eve disobeyed she was deceived and disobeyed him in the garden Adam followed willfully and disobeyed and that's how you and I get our unclean nature our sin nature, we call it, but it's really unclean. So now we need to be cleansed. How is that done? Through the blood of Jesus, we get cleansed and are born again. That's what he says here. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, because you need the Spirit of God to reveal it. He comes alongside. He tells you Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. And then you believe it. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. See it there? Listen, born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born of your mother or water, the water breaks, and that's the only birth you have, that's a physical birth. You're, going to, you're born dead spiritually, and you're going to die spiritually and die eternally. But if you believe and obey this truth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you take this free gift and you say, I believe that. It's done by the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You don't go out groping and looking with a flashlight and go, I found something. He's not lost. You're the one that's lost. I'm the one that's lost. He reveals it to us and you have to say, yes, I believe. But if you believe, it's not coming to an altar here and saying a prayer and walking off and thinking everything's okay. It's your first step of entering back onto the authority of God, obeying God, and then now the Spirit of God wants you to learn how to be underneath that authority of the Father in His house practically and doing His will, saving of souls, the ministry of reconciliation of souls for His glory. So that's the starting line. The finish line is when we see Jesus face to face. The grace and mercy is, is that when we're not obeying, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness 
and ask for power and strength and might and direction from the Word of God and the Spirit of God to follow properly. Seeing you have purified your souls, you've been sanctified and set apart by the Spirit of God, baptized into the body of Christ. How? Through obeying the truth. Starting line. We see truth. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. He who obeys instruction is in the way of life. But he who forsakes it or refuses correction goes astray. Where are you going today? Astray, being led into apostasy? Or are you in the word, prayer, and fellowship crying out to God and asking the Holy Spirit to sanctify and cleanse you with the washing of the water through the word? To prepare you for tomorrow. For his glory. Listen. Once again. Lest you hear me say that I'm telling you. You earn your salvation. By obeying. All you do is obey in your heart. And believe the word for salvation. But once you do. Now you're back in the father's house. Now with salvation. There's more things that you can follow and you don't have to worry about dying the second death. Which, by the way, when you're born again, you're born first of water, then of the blood of Jesus. And when you die physically, you go to sleep and you wake in the arms of Jesus. You don't die again. Born once, you're going to die twice, physical and then cast into hell. Born twice, you're only going to die once. That's that physical death. And the Bible calls it sleeping. You go to sleep and wake in the arms of Jesus because you're not going to be judged at the white throne judgment. You'll be judged at his Bema seat judgment, which rewards for the deeds done in the body once you were baptized into the body. Rewards for the works and the obedience and the following of the Holy Spirit. Many people do some great things and they think they're doing it for God and they're really doing it for their own kingdom. And they may be saved, but they, they, all that's going to be burned up when they get to heaven because it wasn't done by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. It was done for somebody's earthly kingdom, which doesn't exist. Only kingdom that's going to last is God's kingdom. The only thing that's going to last is the Word of God. So he says, by obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, that word is really Philadelphia. City of brotherly love. That's where that comes from, actually. The city of Philadelphia gets its word from this Greek word here. Sincere Philadelphia of the brethren. That's actually what that word is. Philia. Of the brethren. Love. That's agapo. Agape. This is the unconditional love. Look at this one. One you could possibly do if you really strain hard enough. Philadelphia. But it wouldn't be lasting as soon as they say something cross to you. As soon as they don't come through the way you want them to. As soon as you look and you go, wow, they don't really. Then that love is over with. See, there has to be some reciprocation. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. 
then we allow his spirit to put that same love in us. And we love people and we give mercy and grace. We overlook transgression. We're looking for them to help them be sanctified, help them grow. Remember what we talked about last week? Listen, listen. Jesus said, a lawyer came to him and said, uh, good teacher. Of course, he said, why do you call me good? Trying to flatter me. And he says, what's the first commandment what's the greatest commandment and he said well the first commandment the greatest commandment is love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and so he added some more he said and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself love one another as yourself one neighbor's a little different because neighbor's anybody one another is the body of christ we're all born again of the seed of christ when we believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Now we have supernatural spiritual power available. All the inheritance of the kingdom of God is available for you and I to live this life. Yet we continue to do it with our own sin nature and think that we're playing church and we'll be okay. What's my point? Notice that he didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love yourself and then love your neighbor. He went straight to the neighbor. And that's the way you're going to grow in sanctification. That's the way you're going to get this. When you get your heart off of yourself. See, because that's what we always do. We love God, and then we go, well, what about me? No, no, that's the old nature. See, you already love yourself. That's why you were living the way you were living. That's why you were pursuing and desiring what you were desiring. You said, you believe the lie that if I get this, I'll be happy. If I get that, I'll be happy. If I get to that next place, I'll be good. And you were loving yourself and walking over everybody else. Now, you might say, no, I'm a nice person. Listen, we all have the same sin nature. We just do it differently. We all were born with a sin nature. And according to our environment and the lies that we believe, we did it differently. Listen to me. To love this way unconditionally and to overlook, you must have the Spirit of God. To love one another fervently, sincerely, with a pure, clean heart. Listen, I already know it's hard to do. Try doing it on your own and you'll be frustrated all the time. You'll be gossiping and backbiting and talking about all the rest of the sheep. You'll be tearing it down. And God would be saying, get behind me, Satan. That's not how we love in the church. That's not love. Love loves God first with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and finds out how to give grace and mercy and go love your neighbor and help them be a better neighbor. Go out. Some of them need salvation. So we go out and share the gospel with them. We don't join in their sin. We share the gospel with them. Some of them are the brothers and sisters in the church that don't even know how to take off grave clothes or stand back up again or to fill out a checkbook. And so we love them by helping them and having patience with them and kindness with them and overlooking their sin. But you know what? We're supposed to speak when God asked us to speak. Now I'm going to qualify this and clarify this because I don't want sheep running around being Lambos and just telling everybody that was wrong that was wrong stop doing that that's not what you do when you see a brother sin or do something that's not godly you begin to pray for that brother it's always pray first if God shows you something he wants you to pray about it he didn't show it to you so you could get a, a gun and go chase him down and deal with it 
He wants you to come to him with it. That's what we always do first is go to him with it. So you begin to pray for them because if you see something in my character that has a flaw and you start to pray for me and I'm seeking God, God is already working on it. God already knew that. And he said, I want you to be involved in their sanctification so I'm going to show it to you so you can start praying about it. So you can be part of the help and give love and mercy. See, because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks transgression. It extends grace and mercy. Isn't that the greatest part about God? That's the greatest part about God with me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for overlooking. Thank you for extending grace and mercy. Because I need it every day. And it's new every morning. But when God shows you something, you're supposed to pray about it. And if God continues to show it to you, maybe he'll give you an opportunity where you're alone with that person and he gives you an opportunity to bring it up. And then you do it in love. Oh, I know you're seeking God. I know you want to do right. So I just want to ask you about this situation and make sure that you know that that's probably something that the Bible says in Romans that you shouldn't do. How do we do it in the church today? We commit sin right in front of other Christians and go, oh, God will forgive. Just ask for forgiveness. It's okay. We can ask for grace later. And then we laugh about it like it's a real giggle. Peter just said some words wrong to Jesus, and he said, get behind me, Satan. That's an offense. Your heart, where it's at right now, trying to follow the devil instead of follow God is an offense to me. That's difficult for me to think about in the ways that I do some things but we're all growing and being sanctified that's what we're doing as we continue to follow and we're trying to learn to love one another the one another ministry with a pure heart how's that working out for you You know, it's interesting that he says our souls have been purified by obeying the truth. Do you know what the word soul there is? Suke. It means breath. I'm like, what? Sometimes it's hard to understand. You have to ask God, what are you talking about? Well, see, God took some dirt after he created. He took some dirt and he created man in the garden, Adam. And he breathed in his nostrils. That's where life comes from, is from breath. If you don't have any breath, you're dead. My wife's lungs collapsed. She didn't have any breath. She died. They revived her. She got some breath back. Born again. Listen to me. Breath. So what does he say to the boys in John 20, 22? You can look there. He breathed on them. Look at it. John 20, 22. Look at it. He breathed on them again. That's how they were born again. That's how you have an a, a, a unclean sin nature that came from the sin of the one he breathed on in the garden. And then after he rose from the grave, he came to them. And it says in John 20, 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
and he washed them clean with that sanctification. He breathed on their souls and they were now clean again and set apart, purified so that they could obey him. Sanctified. Just as if they never sinned. And now he says, be like me. Go give that same love to others. Having been born again, not of corruptible, perishable seed. See the word seed? I'm sorry, I'm back in 123. Seed is the word that means parentage. Isn't that interesting? Because you're born again. Now you're back in the Father's house. Parentage. It means a sowing. And that seed that's planted is Christ by the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not corruptible. You can't change it. You can't kill it. He's alive. He's risen. It's a good place to say He has risen indeed, but I'll keep moving. So that seed... Is not corruptible. It's imperishable. Born anew. How did it happen? Through the Word of God. See, why do we get away from the Word of God? Why do we start saying, well, the CDC said, the government said, my teacher said, I don't care who you point to. If it's not Jesus, you need to be careful with it. Look at this. You're born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. It's never going to perish. It's a seed that's planted in you through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? But what was the word of God? He actually tells you in 25, it was the gospel that was preached to you. Romans 10, 9, and 10, Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Through the word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can we trust it? We read the Old Testament. We see the testimonies. We see that he always kept his promises. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, a hearing attentively to obey is what that word heed means. By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. What's that mean? That means love the Lord God, God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments, from your law, from your word, from your ways. That means not disobey you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not disobey you again like from the beginning. I might not sin against you. So how do we know the instructions? Unless we read them. Unless we spend time coming to the throne room. Unless we spend time learning them and letting him reveal them. That's what he's doing now. He's taking the cover off of the word of God. He's revealing it to us so that we can say yes or no. We have a choice to make here. Now that I know, am I going to obey it? Or am I going to continue to live the way I've always lived and continue to pursue death? It really reveals the genuineness of your faith. Did God say or did God not say? That's the only question you have to answer in life. And if he did say, you should be learning what else he said. Because there's going to be a test. Anytime you hear truth, there's always going to be a test. 
just like any teacher in any classroom. And we're in the college of God right now, the courtroom of God. When you hear that truth, then he's going to come and give you a pop quiz. You're going to be driving home from church today, and somebody's going to pull out in front of you, and you can choose to show them the tall finger, or you can choose to smile. Make sure you hit your brakes. That's the first choice. <laughs> Reflex. But there's going to be a test on the heart, and it's not pass or fail. It's to show you your heart. If you show them the tall finger, what do you do? You turn around after you get done scuffling. You turn around, and you ask God to forgive you. Now, does that make it right? Does that make it the Christians just scuffle in the street over tall fingers? No, that's not what I'm saying. But God showed you that that anger, that frustration, that pain, that was in your heart. And the only way to get it out is by surrendering to his instruction. And that is asking him to forgive you first. And then asking him to change that second and give you power and strength and might not to do it that way the next time. And as he forgives you, he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Every time that you confess it, he's he's cleansing you. He's washing you. Don't forget, you're washed perfect, sanctified, set apart, positionally. But practically, now you're becoming what you already are in heaven, seated with Christ in heavenly places. How are you doing that, Greg? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're using the inheritance that he's given you down here now because it's yours. This is not our home. That's why we don't listen to the people down here that claim to be of the schools of higher learning. That's why we don't listen to the things that are underneath the sway of the wicked one. Because our home is in heaven. Death is down here. Death is down here. We don't listen to death. Now, I'm not saying that a blind squirrel can't find a nut every once in a while. But typically, when the world takes it, they twist it. And they try to make it their own and not God's word. But I've read philosophy. Paul even quotes a philosopher. You know, there's times when they get it right. But that don't make them our master, our instructor, our leader, or our guide. That just means they were a blind squirrel that found a nut. I'm very cautious not to even quote unbelievers. Why? Because, well, there's 66 books in the Bible. Paul wrote about uh, half of the New Testament. He only quoted them once. If they were really quotable, he'd have quoted them a whole lot more. Quote the Word of God. It actually will instruct you completely. So we've been born again with a seed that's incorruptible. The garden has started. The soil of your heart has received it. It's planted deep in there. Now are you going to allow God to till up the fallow ground, to build righteousness, to change who you are, to really work on you and practically change you the same way that he positionally changed you when you believed your first step of obedience back under the authority of the kingdom of God with a father who loves us, not a father of lies, but a father who cannot lie. He is incorruptible just like your salvation. He can't change his mind. He can't make something up. He doesn't need to. He already knows everything. Let's look at Jeremiah 4. Be patient. I've only got about an hour left. Jeremiah 4, 1. 
because I want to talk about your heart a little bit. I want to talk about the growing, and then we'll get into the grass, because that's what we are. If we happen to produce a flower, it would be because of God, but it'll quickly fade. If you will return, O Israel, he's speaking to Israel, because they're backsliding children. I'm not going to read all of Jeremiah. You know that Jeremiah was a prophet who preached for 40 years, judgment, 40 Never had one convert. Nobody ever believed him. Do you know how frustrating that might be? He tried to quit the ministry many times. But this, God said, no, the same reason you came into the ministry, I made you a preacher of the gospel, is the same reason you're trying to leave it. I told you they needed to hear the truth. I told you their souls needed saved. And then you're trying to leave the ministry because their souls ain't saved. That's the reason you started listening to me, Jeremiah. So don't blame the people around you. When your life's not going right. It's your relationship with God. The reason he saved you was to purify you. And teach you how to obey in his house. It's not the people around you. He's dealing with you. We're going to get to that maybe next week or the week after with the living stones. We all work together. So he says to them, if you will return to me, O Israel. Israel just happens to mean one governed by God. If you say that you, since you have been purified says the Lord, return to me. Don't just say, if you will, just do it. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. Doesn't allow the righteous to be moved. You have a firm foundation. And you shall swear the Lord lives. You will give testimony that the Lord is alive in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah, those who praise, and Jerusalem, those who teach peace, break up your fallow ground. Listen to me. He's talking about the heart. We're going to get to it. And do not sow among the thorns. Don't keep planting seed in the curse. Places where it's not supposed to be planted. Don't, don't, don't sow the word of God into a thorny heart that has no desire to obey God. That's what he's saying there. And if you don't have any desire to obey God, you should be asking him for a desire. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, he gives you a desire to obey God. That's what sanctification is about. That's what salvation is about. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. See, circumcision was a covenant between Abraham and God and the people of God. But it's always been about the circumcision of the heart. Well, what does that mean, Greg? Cut away the flesh of the heart. All the thorns and the thistles. All the things that are in there that are not godly. That don't love your neighbor. That don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those things don't stay there. you got to take your heart and clean out the, the rocks and the thorns and the thistles and the briars. And the only way to do that is the word of God to get in there and turn up the soil. And that's what the Spirit does when He comes in and plants the seed of God that's incorruptible in you. And now it's your job to till it and to take care of it and tend the garden just like Adam did. But all you have to do is stand. You don't have to get any tools. You don't have to do anything except stand and abide and remain in the Word of God, prayer and fellowship. And God will do the work. You're, all you have to do is choose to always continue to obey the Word of God. And then you'll love 
others with a sincere heart. You'll be fervent in your love because it'll be just like Christ. The fruit that grows will be the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. It looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such, there is no law. Nothing, because that's what God's purpose is, is to create that in us to be like Christ. There's nothing against it. But there is a law about thorns and thistles, isn't there? If you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. God's not mocked. If you sow to the wind instead of sowing and following and doing good, you sow to the wind, what are you going to reap? You're going to reap a whirlwind, a crop of, of storms and disaster and eventually death. Because God's not mocked. You can't mock God. He knows what you're sowing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. And he came to save you from it. He came to turn your hearts back to him so that when your thoughts are wrong, you go, Lord, what am I thinking that for? So he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Not just clean up your heart, but know you're doing it to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your heart. Clean out your hearts, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like a fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And I'm not going to keep going, but I could, and it would be great. This is the word of God is living and powerful. But what he's saying is, is that, listen, the light of his word comes in, and it, and, and it burns away all the thorns and thistles and rocks and everything that's flesh. Or one day there's going to be judgment and it will burn you up and consume you. And you'll be in fire for the rest of your eternity. Back to our text. Through the Word of God. The Word of God tells us everything we need to know. The end of 23 here, 123. Through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. How long is that? Somebody get a calculator. Lives and abides forever. Abides means to abide, continue, and remain. It means to stay. It has a relation or expectancy of forever. An unbroken age. Because, now he's going to quote Isaiah 40. I wanted to go to Isaiah. I'm going to give it to you as homework. Isaiah 40. Why is Isaiah 40 so important? Hmm. The first 39, see, Isaiah is a small Bible. This is what I like to share with people now that say, oh, I don't believe the Bible is real. Man's messed it up. Really, they messed it up? God used man to put 66 chapters in Isaiah. Why is that significant? There's 66 chapters in the Bible. Why is that significant? Well, in the uh, Bible, 66 books, there's 39 Old Testament and 27 New. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, the 66 chapters, the first 39 talk about judgment and talk about them being thrown into Babylon, being punished for not obeying God. And then the 40th chapter, right when you think they're going to go to Babylon and be judged and punished, he starts to talk like they've already been there. Because the 40 is the number of judgment. And it's just like the 40th book of the Bible, which is Matthew. Where Jesus comes and dies for the sins of the world. And he does bring judgment. That you don't have to be punished. You don't have to go to Babylon. You don't have to fall back into God's wrath. 
you can receive Jesus and be set free. So this is where he talks about it in chapter 40 of Isaiah. And he says, because all flesh is as grass. Now think about it, compare it. What are we trying to get rid of? We're trying to get rid of our flesh. We're trying to get rid of that part that we're circumcising from our heart that is flesh, that's that's still the sin nature, that still does what we used to do because of our father of lies, because we're being sanctified, made like we are positionally, made like what God sees. And he says that the flesh is like grass. Guess what? People are starting to mow it again. It was dead for a while. Don't you love this time of year when it starts to come back to life? I liked it in November when it started dying. That's the time of year I got saved, in the fall. Because, see, when you're dying, like when you see that tree start to die, it's growing more on the inside than it ever was with all that blossomy. See, all that blossomy takes every bit of sustenance so that just to keep it alive. That tree is, is taking everything out of it to grow. But when you die to self, now the inside is taking all of that and growing character on the inside. It's making that next ring and that next ring. And it's growing strong like a mighty oak. If you want to be flashy and everybody see you and you're pretty and you uh, make like a tree and leave, then it takes everything in you to do that. When all you have to do is die to self and allow the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. So when it's dying and you see all them beautiful colors, that's God creating life on the inside. And then when everything blossoms back up and starts to grow again, it really is. It's, 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 it really is a picture that things that die can have life. God has placed it in a natural law. So flesh, he's comparing you and me to grass. I mean, it was bad enough when he said we were like sheep because sheep are stupid. I know you don't like that. It's not good for your self-esteem, but self's supposed to be dead. You're supposed to be loving God and loving your neighbor, not self. That's why the world teaches in everything that you do, you've got to have psychology in it, sociology in it. Every degree that you get from the schools of higher learning, they want you to take psychology. Why? Because it takes God out, and it teaches you to love yourself. And God's taking us out and wants us to love him and others. Because our problem is we love ourselves. And if you don't think the world's underneath the sway of the wicked one, when you hear that, then you need to get on your face before God and ask for forgiveness and come to true salvation. Everything in the world is trying to teach you to hate God, to join death culture, and to follow their instruction instead of follow God's instruction. And the fun part is he sent us out like sheep among wolves where we still got to live here and then know that and then be wise as serpent and gentle as doves. But what do we do? We go out there and let them destroy us. We go out there and we don't say a word to them. We go out there and join what they're doing. We go out there and believe them. We got to wake up, church. Got to wake up. Flesh, sarks, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That's what that word is in the Greek, sarks. Sounds like a snake. Sarks, it's grass. And all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. So everything that you can accomplish in the flesh is like the flower that blooms out of the grass, right? 
That's what he's saying. Here I am. I'm a mighty preacher. There's my flower. It's going to die. It means nothing. Only God means something. If we do it for him, that's what's going to last. The flower of the grass. The grass withers. See, we've seen it withering when there's no sun, there's no rain, and the flower falls away. Everything perishes. 100% of people die. But listen to what we heard. We were born again through the word of God, right? But the word of the Lord, verse 25, endures forever. And In fact, when you look at it in Isaiah, it's translated stands forever. The same place that the people of God are supposed to be standing in the victory of the cross of Calvary. The word of God stands forever. So how do the people of God stand forever? Because they understand the word of God. They believe the word of God. They trust the word of God. The word is a lamp to their path, or a light to their path and a lamp to their feet. Lamp to their feet and a light to their path. So it shows you where you're standing at. Boy, I'm in quicksand. And it shines a light where you can follow by the spirit of God. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's able to divide the bone and the marrow, blood, soul and the spirit, flesh and spiritual. And it's a discerner, judges the thoughts and intents of your heart so you can be sanctified, set apart. You can make the correct choice. You can hear the instruction of life and the reproofs and follow God if you ask him. If you ask him, if you build a relationship with him, if you get into the word prayer and fellowship, listen, all men is going to perish. All the works of man is going to perish. One day it's all going to be burned up, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Once again, the word is, is Jesus first, the living word that come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word went to the cross and died for us. And then it's the written instruction, his word, his discourse, his speech, what he has spoken that we follow and trust, and our faith is built from it because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because you can't lie. So you can trust him. When he says that he died for you. He paid for your sins. He'll give you a new heart. He'll change your life. He'll change everything about you. If you just abide in the vine. The word endures forever. But we are going to die. Our flesh is going to die. When? When we get new bodies. The flesh right now, you have to beat it down. You, you punish it. You put it in the grave. You don't follow it. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, that seed that was planted, lives in me. The life that I now live in the sarks, in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith. Following the author and the finisher of our faith. We're confidently trusting God and his instruction that will be in the way. Our help comes from above. Our help comes from above us. If you're looking to yourself as the psychology in the world. Look inside yourself. Uh, you're looking at the wrong place. It's pretty ugly in there. And if you look in there and see something good, then you are deceived. 
you are deceived. If you look in there and see anything good except for the word of God, I know this is not a self-esteem message. It's not a self-esteem gospel. We were born dead, and the only way to have life is to listen to life himself. He's the living word of God, the way, the truth, and the life. And then he loves us. And then he comes to us and he says, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you. I came to save you. The second time he comes, he will come to condemn and judge. He came to save that which was already condemned, that which was already lost, that which was already broken. He loves us that much. You can trust him. But you have to surrender to him. You have to do salvation and sanctification his way. You can't do it your way because that's flesh. And flesh is going to die. It's going to wither. It's like the grass. All that you can produce is going to burn up. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. See, Peter's saying, I know this was preached to you. It was heralded to you. It was preached. Interesting that... Interesting that he brings it back to what they heard, the gospel, the good news, euangelion, where we get the word evangelize from. You know, if that, here's the, uh, another amazing thing as I look at this text, if that flower falls and dies, Galatians 2.20, and is planted when it dies like the tree in the fall, it can produce much fruit in other people. But if it doesn't die, you don't stop chasing your own desires. Luke 9.23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow me, be in the way with me, listen to the instruction from me, my spirit that's leading, guiding, teaching you. I don't, know, I, 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 I don't know where you guys are at in life, but you know what? It is awesome to sit down and open up the Bible and, and start to read it and the Lord to speak to you, telling you what he's saying in it. It's nothing, nothing less than, than, than miraculous to know that the Lord, because there's no way that in my flesh I could look at any page on this Bible and understand any spiritual thing because flesh is death and it only leads to death. But if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And it's just that simple. We're just like the grass. It dies. But with Christ, you can endure forever because you've hidden the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. Chapter 2 says, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, you've got to look and see what it's there for. Well, why is it there for? Because of all of chapter 1. Because of this great salvation and the spirit to sanctify us and it's incorruptible, undefiled, this inheritance that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Because we've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Since you've been purified, your souls by obeying, don't stop now. There's more. There's a great inheritance. There's a life with Christ. There's freedom. There's blessing. There's mercy and hope. Therefore, laying aside, remember we talked last week about 
Colossians 3, taking off the old man and putting on the newness. Here we're doing this garden where seed has been planted and we're going to lay aside anything in the garden that would damage the seed of God, that would destruct the, 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 the Holy Spirit's work and quench and grieve Him. We're going to lay aside all malice. Now, I don't want you to freak out, but this is who we are. This is your heart that has to be dealt with. It has to be dead and in the grave. We are malicious people. I know some of you are going, not me. You're in trouble then. If you think you're not malicious, you're in trouble. You're very immature and you do not believe the gospel. The gospel says we live in malice. The gospel said we're evil. Being evil, you give your kids good gifts. We're evil. Born in sin. This is not about you thinking that you're great like you've been told all your life and then forgetting about Jesus. But if you want to be great in the eyes of God which is who we need to be pleasing to, we have to confess to him that there's malice in our heart. What's malice, Greg? I'm glad you asked. It's ill will toward others. It's a desire to injure others. Listen, I know you're going, I don't have ill will. Oh yeah, every time they get something and you didn't, it starts as a little child. When somebody gets a gift and you don't, it builds on that malice. It builds on that ill will. And, and you want to break their stuff because you didn't get one. And we begin to look at others. Instead of loving with fervent love our neighbors, instead of loving one another, we begin jealous and envious. And we have malice. And we want to get ahead. So we want to make sure that we're the ones that know. See, that's all flesh. That's all death. That's the heart that pr promotes death. Malice and deceit or guile. Remember when Jesus said to Nathaniel? Remember? He said, no guile in him. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? See, because he wants to take the guile out. And he sees the heart and he knows that he wants to take out the malice and the deceit. He wants to take those things out. You have to lay them aside or good seed cannot grow. If you don't deal with them and dead this cell and say, no, I'm not going to wish bad for them. You know that the Bible teaches if your enemy, if your enemy is rewarded, if your enemy does good, if your enemy, excuse me, if your enemy falls, if your enemy is in trouble and you rejoice in it, the Bible says don't do that because God might change his mind and lift him back up. You're supposed to pray for your enemies. You don't, you don't have malice in your heart and go, good, they deserve that. Remember what they said to me? Remember how they looked at me and I thought they thought that I thought you thought that he thought? You remember, you remember that backbiting thing that happened over the nothing that didn't really happen at all? Because we're evil. And we don't apply the blood of Jesus and walk in love and look for the best for the people around us and try to sanctify and cleanse them and simply put, disciple them in growth in Christ. So we begin to think evil thoughts and malice and envy and strife and we have hypocrisy. I love you, brother. Really? You really love me? You know what? If we really love one another, we would cooperate with the Spirit of God to get the gospel out to souls that are going to hell. 
If we really love one another, we wouldn't bite and devour and spit and talk about each other all the time and wrestle and, and tear up the body of Christ because of our own little selfish malice and guile that we want to do something that somebody else is doing. That's what's wrong. That's why the division is there because the power of God has been removed from the church. It's a form of godliness that only looks at what I want for me today. And God said that's supposed to be in the grave. Nothing about you is to be alive. This is all about the kingdom of God because you've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And if you want anything that's going to survive, it has to be through the word of God that endures forever. And yet we play church still. We play. We do nothing about our ill will. Listen, if somebody gets rewarded or somebody does something or you think they did something, be godly. And rejoice with them. Pray for them. Don't continue to add more weeds and briars and curse and deception to your heart. Because when you do, the seed of God cannot grow in you. Faith cannot grow in you. The life of Christ cannot grow in you. Look at James. James deals with this just a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Back up. I'm not used to backing up to get to James. James chapter 1, verse 9. After he tells them, if you lack wisdom, when you go through trials, when you go through this life, you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. You, know, you can tell. I used to, you can tell people that are asking God for wisdom. They do the right thing. You can tell people that have a relationship with God. When they don't do the right thing, they go, oh, that was real dumb. I'm going to listen better to God next. Listen to what he says in verse 9, though. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. In other words, somebody that's low gets lifted up. But the rich in his humiliation, he gets lowered down. Why? Because as a flower of the field, everybody's just grass, he will pass away. Everybody's going to perish. Think about this, though. Didn't God just make the ground level there? The low one was lifted. The high one was lowered. They're both on the same level ground at the cross. For no sooner has the sun risen. He's rising soon. S-O-N, not S-U-N. With a burning heat that it withers the grass. Its flower falls. All that you've done in life, you're going to be on your deathbed going, boy, I wish I'd have spent more time in the Word of God. I'd have peace about going to see Him. And its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade in his pursuits. This is where I wanted to get you at, but 12. Blessed is the man and the woman and the child who endures, who stands, withstands is what the word means, abiding under temptation, obeying truth and not following the lie. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Notice where it begins, those who love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. And I will send you another, the spirit of truth, who will be with you and in you and come upon you with power to live this life for me and to lay aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, which is just jealousy, jealous of others, and all evil speaking. There's one blaspheming and railing. Notice all of these are, are the things that are in your heart. 
All of them are the soil of the heart. He's saying, lay them aside. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. Lay them aside because that's not you anymore. That was the old heart. Now listen, we're still carrying the flesh. It's still here. So your heart can still be like that. Your heart can still desire to go chase death, to be with them instead of go to them so that they can be reconciled. Why are we laying it aside? Because we're being sanctified. What's your, what's your mouth been doing? See, there's the teaching gifts and the serving gifts. Your mouth should be doing a teaching gift, speaking gifts, encouraging gifts. And your hands should be service gifts because that's what the Spirit of God wants to do with the body of Christ. How do we get there? How do we, how do we lay it aside? How do we say no to it? Only by the power of the Spirit. And then... As newborn babes. Isn't it cool? Because see, this letter wasn't just written to new Christians. Listen, God is treating us like we're newborn babes all of our life. Now, we might mature in certain areas, but there's other things that we're still babies at. There are other things that we're still learning because you cannot exhaust the Word of God. You cannot exhaust the character of God. You cannot exhaust the sanctification until you see Him face to face. So you're always going to be a newborn babe. You always should be what? Desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen, saint, you can't grow unless you're reading the word of God. Listen, saint, you can't grow unless you're reading the word of God and obeying what you hear. Listen, saint, your faith ain't going nowhere sitting in a church. Oh, I know this meeting is for equipping. But you grow when you go. You grow when you become a doer and not a hearer only. You don't go sit in McDonald's and become a cheeseburger. So how do you think you're going to sit in a church and become a Christian? It's just not true. It's just false. Listening to some guy radically go crazy and talk about the Word of God is not going to do much to you. I'm just trying to excite you. I'm just trying to cheerlead you. I'm trying to get you to know that it's about the Word of God, not the church or not about which denomination you're in. It's about the Word that endures forever. Now, I'm not stepping on, you know, Ephesians 5 where it says it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry so that we all can... And I'm not going to go there either. Because the church is God's bride. I wasn't trying to speak against that message. But if you're newborn, if you're a babe, and you are, I don't care how many years you've been in the Lord, He'll show you something real quick when you think you're no longer His child. So all He has is children, and all of His children want to learn to obey Him and work in His house so that they can receive rewards. Nothing like being pleasing to the Father. You know, my, my grandson and my granddaughter, they follow me around. I'm like, I'm the grandpa, I'm not the dad. They follow me around wanting to be pleasing. So they want to do everything that I do. I'm studying last night. Silas gets his, he gets his table. He gets in, and Addie used to do it when she was younger. Now she's learning that she can be independent and do what she wants to do instead of obeying the Word of God. Oh, 
She's growing. She's constantly, we play Bible games and, and answer questions. But listen, every day, I've got two photos of me and my wife on the desk. So he goes, Peppa, I'm trying to study, buddy. He's like, i got two of them now. And he's got two pictures set up on the desk. And he's like, he's looking at my desk. So he goes and finds him a stapler, and he puts a stapler on it. He goes and finds him a duck, and he puts a duck on it. And then he stacks some books up on the right side, and he stacks them on the left. And he goes, where's my Bible? I go, there's one right there, puppy. You got one already. No, I don't like this one. I need a big one because he's got this little bitty Bible. And he's doing everything that I'm doing. If I walk through the house and I take my shirt off, his shirt's off before we can get to the other room. If I walk through the house and I put my shoes on, he puts his shoes on exactly the same. I mean, it's serious. This is what it's supposed to be like. I'm, I'm just that father figure in his life. But there's a father in heaven who sent his son who died and spilled his blood and then sanctifies you by putting his spirit in you and he's in your heart and he will lead you in the way to go. And you can do everything that he does just like Jesus said, I do all that I see my father doing. He's at work, so I'm at work. God's not at play here. Souls are at, at risk here. Souls are going to go to hell here. He came to redeem every one of them. And so many people reject him and disobey him and won't follow him. And they listen to the father of lies. And they keep following their own flesh. And listen, your biggest enemy is not the devil. Your biggest enemy is not the government. Your biggest enemy is your own self-will. Because God gave you freedom to follow what you want to follow. And whatever choice you make, you'll make it and you'll follow it. Listen, don't make excuses. If you call me and you can't make it to Bible study, just say, I ain't going to be there. Because your excuse doesn't matter because you'd be anywhere you wanted to be. Anywhere you wanted to be, you'd be there. I know because I watch your life and I know my life. Anywhere I want to be, I got time. To, I'm free in America to be there. Anywhere. I make my schedule. I take vacation days to do what I want to do. So I know I can be where I need to be. But it's a choice that we make in our heart that we want to learn to obey God and learn the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to flow through us so that we can go to others and their souls can be saved. Or do we want to continue to live in death culture? It's up to you. Do we desire the pure milk of the Word? So we can grow thereby. I always say be on the grow. You have to be on the grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. There is no standing still in life. If you're not growing, you are dying. Make no mistake. It takes only a second to die. My pastor used to use the water rowing in a boat, going upstream. It's so hard. But you let go of that oar and you know how quick you go backward against the current. See, and we're living against the current. Many waters everywhere. And we're standing for Jesus. And when you're rowing against it, you're going to, re you're going to see great, great conflict everywhere you go if you're living for Jesus. And then he says in three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now listen, I don't, I, I don't think that that's a, oh, let me see if my faith is genuine. Although it could be. Oh, I don't think that means, oh, am I even saved? But it could be. But what I think it means sometimes is that people come to Jesus, they want to do right, and then they're never instructed that they need to taste and see that the Lord is good. And they still like eating the leeks and the onions of Egypt 
And they keep looking back at what the dog was that bit them instead of looking onward and upward to the higher call of God in Christ Jesus, which is where our kingdom is. So if you keep looking at the person who bit you, hurt you, damaged you, you're going to keep having deceit and guile and hypocrisy and death in your life. But if you begin to look to the throne room and get into the word of God, prayer and fellowship, and begin to look to God and what his kingdom is doing, and, and begin to get into the pure milk of the word and desire to spend time with God and his word, you will grow. Because the word of God endures forever. It's living. It's living. It's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. Have you tasted? And actually the word gracious there is the kindness. See, it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that brings men to repentance. It, it means usefulness in manner and in morals. It's what changes, what you desire. Where's the soil of your heart today? Believe God or believe man? Believe God or follow your own selfish desires? All of us fit in this. All of us are one choice away from just walking away from the church. Most churches are not opening. A lot of churches will be closing. People are making a choice to hide from the flu virus. I know. I had to go there. It may be a little bit worse than last year's flu virus. But do you know that COVID's the cure for the flu? Nobody's sick with the flu anymore. It's a deception. It's pure deception from a world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. In fact, I watched a video yesterday where Bill Gates said that smallpox was created by man. He literally said that other diseases were created by man. They're using us like a big laboratory to test and try and to create new things. And they line their pockets full of money. And I'll close with this. Go to Revelation 18. Twenty-three. Anybody can be deceived. Anybody can listen to lies. The question is, is do you believe the word of God and quit following the lie? Quit following your own heart. This is the fall of Babylon. which many believe is America. It's a system that the world is living under now. Maybe 2020 vision will give to us once we get to heaven. We'll know more about the fullness of it because I believe the church leads before we see the full capacity of it. And there's a lot of different opinions about it. But in 23, it says, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Who's the light of the world? What's the lamp? Word of God. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. That's because of the rapture of the church. That's because the bride has been removed. The restrainer of morality has been removed. 
the bridegroom and the bride is no longer going to influence this evil world that's full of death culture. And God's going to give them over to themselves. He already is. For your merchants, that's the people that merchandise everything, merchants, they get on ships and they take stuff all over the place and they do all this stuff and they buy, sell, and trade and make great money. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, you know, the um, George Soros's, the Bill Gates, uh, the Schwab, uh, the Elon Musk, uh, the ones that are behind all of this deception. For by your sorcery, He's talking about the merchants, the great men of the earth that are using sorcery, the word pharmakeia, pharmikia, sorcery, witchcraft, or medicine, pharmacy. I'm not saying all pharmacy is bad. What do they use it for? By your pharmacy, all the nations were deceived. See, it's not about America. It's about all the nations. It's about a one world government. And in her, the Babylonian system, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Listen, there's a deception going on that's much greater than you can ever imagine. It started in the garden and it's still death culture and it hasn't changed. God's just bringing it to a close. He, did, he started it in 2020 so that you could have eyes to see and hear, ears to hear what he is saying to the church. And it's not time to lighten up. It's time to tighten up and start to clean out those stains in your heart and allow the spirit of God to use your life. And be sanctified for his glory. And enter into the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Because that's what it's all about. The devil's trying to steal the souls. And take as many people to hell with him as he can. And he's doing it through deception. Through lies. And right now he just happens to be using pharmacy or sorcery. Either way they put it in your foods. All the GMOs. Everything that's going on with food. The genetically modified is sorcery. It's witchcraft. It's modifying your food, and everybody gets sick because of it. That's why they don't want you to have seeds to grow your own. That's why they patent even the seeds that God made. And they genetically modified them. See, you can't have a patent on a regular seed. But if you genetically modify it, you can have a patent on it. That's why people in Michigan, the governor, wouldn't even allow people on lockdown to buy seeds. That's their horrific plan. They want you to eat their stuff. They don't want you to be able to eat what you want and to be free. It gets much worse. I'll be glad when I'm gone. He's coming soon. I hope you're ready. I hope you desire the pure milk of the word. I hope you desire to know him. I hope you know that if he comes today, you'll be snatched away. As my brother always says, if there's a fight or something in the street, the first thing that the father is going to do that loves his kids is going to go snatch them out of the yard and get them in the house. And then he's going to go out and see what's going on and deal with the others and judge theirs. We always talk in the street fight and stuff. It just comes naturally. God's getting ready to snatch his kids out, take them home, and then he will deal with the sons of disobedience for all their deception. And listen to me, it's a choice. It's a choice that's made in your heart. And at first you might think you're making it, but later God confirms it. And you can't make a choice to turn back anymore. 
That's why he says today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to believe you. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be the one that is born again by an incorruptible seed through the word of God, through hearing that message. Not about coming to an altar. It's about coming to the living God. And if you do, you begin to obey. That's the genuineness of your faith. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it will stand and endure forever. forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will not. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I